Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. New challenges in your craft can show both the highs and the lows of the creative process. This week, I'm joined by Leila Saruji of Tierra Madeira Ceramics. We talk about how to deal with burnout and sometimes how a bit of time away from our craft can create a real hunger to get back at it and try new things. We also discuss the process of creating ceramics, including how each piece turns out unique even while using the same techniques. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways for the show to grow, and I appreciate your support. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the show, Layla. It's so great to talk with you. Uh, Thanks, John. I'm really happy to be here. With all my visual artists, I like to point people right away to their website just so they can see what works that we're talking about. So you have a Facebook, a website, and an Instagram. Would you mind sharing with us where we can view your ceramics? Yes. Yeah, I'd love uh, for listeners to check out my work before they dive in because I think uh, things will you know, sync up a lot better. And so the best way is going to be to head over to Instagram. I am at tierra.madera.ceramics. Um, and then if you want to kind of go into my website and learn a little bit more about me and the work, you can do uh, com. I'm not very active on the Facebook. It just kind of my Instagram shoots content over to the Facebook side. Um, but those are the two best places to find me. And I'm pretty active on the Instagram side of things uh, just on a day-to-day basis. So love for you to join my journey. <laughs> now, Tierra Madeira, that's an interesting name. Where did that come from? I'm glad you asked because it I, I find it to be um, a nice little anecdote. So I guess it was now four and a half years ago. Um, I was working in a restaurant. I was doing pottery on the side and working at a community studio where things eventually really took off for me. But at the time was just more of a hobby potter. And my partner, Graham, he was uh, getting his uh, feet wet with more of the creative side of carpentry doing like whittling work. And, um, he was, uh, working for a high-end fabricator making, um, banisters. And he was just really inspired by wood. And that ultimately led into what is now his full-time job. So we were both kind of pursuing these, um, pottery and carpentry, uh, hobbies at the time. And one night after work, I was like, okay, we've made a lot, I've made a lot of pottery, you've made a lot of 
small whittled work. Why don't we try to sell this to our friends and family on Facebook? And I sat down uh, to start coming up with some names that would represent the two of us. And I had just gotten back from a really amazing five-week trip to Mexico that I took uh, with a girlfriend and then partially by myself. So Spanish was very much so on the tip of my tongue. I, I, I've always loved the language. My brother-in-law is from Spain and uh, I've been learning it since I was young in school. So I started playing around with things that rhymed. Spanish usually leans to some more romantic, you know, rhyme driven words and came up with uh, Tierra Madera because it means it translates to um, earth and wood, uh, Tierra meaning earth, uh, Madera wood, or, you know, land or clay as uh, a bit interchangeable. And then Madera like forest or land, uh, or I'm sorry, not land, trees, you know. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a play on the combination of our crafts. And I just loved the way that it rhymed. So I, it stuck. I, I didn't really think I would keep it for as long as I did because once things started to evolve. But it's uh, it's been nice that I have that background story because Graham has been a huge part of this business. <laughs> How does your relationship with each other inform ideas or directions to go? Can you talk a little bit about what that's like? Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, really quickly, now that I've uh, it's I've remembered here another sort of reason for the name almost after the fact of coming up with it, I started to realize like, okay, this is cool because wood really is a foundational element of ceramics. If you think about it in a historical period, like fires, you know, and, and in the beginning people firing their work in pits and in, uh, like, you know, wood fire kilns that that's the origins of pottery, right? In that way, I think that just from a completely natural standpoint, the relationship that Graham and I have and the fact that we both uh, dedicate ourselves to these two different crafts, um, it really influences the work because like each one has such a historical relationship to the other. And I think that from just like a simple standpoint, having a partner who can be super honest with you that you can take finished pieces to prototypes to and can give you honest feedback that within itself is really valuable. So for sure, that being one way that I think the relationship influences the work is that I have somebody who works with their hands. So they, they're familiar with that tactile Necess like the the way that something should or shouldn't feel or how something can be improved based on how it is in your hands and how it functions in your hands, he is so familiar with working as a carpenter and in construction. So that stands out to me as a way, but even more so the fact that he can build um, so many things has certainly influenced the business because I have been so fortunate to have like a, like an on-hand carpenter to build my work table and to, you know, we just built the checkout counter and he really, really helps me around the studio. I know I would be capable of doing these things on my own or sourcing out somebody else if I had to, but he loves it. And so it's something that we can enjoy together. 
Yeah, and having someone, whether it be someone very close to you or just someone in general to review your work, like I'm a writer and that's the one thing that I'm always after. It's like, okay, I got to find someone. And then it's really tough to find someone when the draft isn't the most clean, like perfected version of what you're going to go for. Like it's much easier to find someone when you have the completed product, but you can't get there without having that advice and perspective and feedback when things aren't looking quite right. So for you, whether that's, I don't know for you, that translates to every single piece or more of your growing as an artist in the direction that you go on. Um, How long does it take to produce each ceramic on an individual basis? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I guess I would say that any given piece is going to take about a month from start to finish. But you have to also remember that I'm working in batches. So obviously one piece isn't like, I'm not every month, I'm not going, oh, I have, I have one piece. You know, I, I'm making, I'm sitting down at the wheel, uh, say, you know, on April 1st, and I'm throwing 40 tumblers. And then I'm coming in the next day and checking to see if they're the right dryness for me to trim. If they're not, I wait, I do other things uh, in between. And when it is ready to trim, that is, you know, another day's worth of work trimming 40 tumblers, you know, more or less, it depends what kind of mood (laughs) I'm in. Um, And then uh, after I trim those pieces, they need to dry because you uh, can't put pieces that still have moisture in them in the kiln. Um, you can preheat the kiln to speed things up, but every potter knows that when you try to rush ceramic, something goes wrong. So you don't want to do that. Uh, so let those dry. That might take you know a few more days. And then I'm pushing things through the kiln twice. So I'm firing it first, taking it out and glazing, and then putting it back in. And mind you, like all of these steps also have about 10 other little steps that kind of go mostly unseen online because it would just be impossible to really document uh, the amount. And the way that I work, I'm trying to produce a certain volume of work every month where I have multiple options. So tumblers, mugs, plates, bowls, you know, in, in those in-betweens, I'm making the other things, which is why then it kind of becomes this one piece turns around in one month situation. You might talk to another potter who they don't have to have been at it for 20 years, but if they are, they might say I could turn, uh, you know, a hundred pieces around in two weeks. It's, uh, it's also about what you, um, I guess what you value in your work, but also in your free time. So how, how quickly are you doing things and what can you manage? Now, I think there was something that you mentioned that all the creatives listening could relate to that just the way you talked about, depending on the mood that you're in, um, how do you, when you're not in the mood to create, do you find a way to push through that? And how do you do that? Because I, th- I know that that's something that I can struggle with, and I'm sure other creatives can struggle with that as well. Totally. It is funny that you ask, and I, I figured it would come up because it's like, I feel like it's like oozing out of my like body and my soul right now. I am so burnt out at the very moment. <laughs> so um, I am trying to figure that exact question out because I've actually never experienced quite what I'm experiencing right now. I've got my feet in so many doors, I feel, because I'm trying to, in the 
background work on making this space, half of this space look like a boutique <laughs> and another part of the space look like a workshop, uh, you know, situation for classes. And then I'm also trying to keep up with inventory. And the truth is I'm really just not doing a great job at balancing it all right now. So um, I think for me, something that I've been leaning into is just allowing myself to put the energy into the other things and give myself a break from the clay so that I'm not trying. I think when you fight so hard against the burnout and you're like, no, I'm going to throw today. I'm good. Like, it's like you for writing. You're like, I am dealing with hardcore writer's block, but I'm going to sit down at my desk eight hours go by and you have like two pages done and you feel even more defeated. Right. So I'm trying to really just give myself a little bit of space. I don't think I've, uh, you know, I'll get on the wheel and like throw five or 10 pieces just so that I am not falling totally behind. And I'm really lucky right now that I uh, have a, uh, a few different commissions stacked up that are financially helping me not have to push so hard for the monthly shop restock. Um, but I'm just trying to be okay with not wanting to play with clay right now as much as I normally would. Uh, because otherwise if I beat myself up for it, it's just, it's entirely too depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, right? Because especially if you're trying to do it professionally, you do feel that pressure. And a lot of the difference between someone doing it as a hobby and doing it professionally is the output level and just keeping at it. And when you don't feel like it pushing through and doing it, but at the same time, I agree exactly with what you're saying in that if you feel really burnt out, you could you could be doubling down on the damage by trying to force it. And exactly. so, you know, this is something that I'm newer to writing as well. So it's not like I have some way to I wish I had some experience to to share with you that would fix this. But so far, what I'm finding is at least taking those steps back and like budgeting time for things that kind of fill you up like creatively mm -hmm. rather than just always be an expenditure because it's like you said it's not it's not just that you doing the craft of the ceramics it's also you trying to put the store together like for me it, you know it's putting the newsletter together or working with cover designers things like this there's just so many things going on but then also i think what I've tried to do too is know that there's, there's always like something that I could do and whether sometimes honestly working on like a, a brand new project that's like completely separate and like a part that's like, like the planning phases of a future book yeah. might be, might be better than the nitty gritty. And I don't know if this would apply to ceramics, but another thing I'm finding is I often get the writer's block or like that, uh, kind of hit a wall when I haven't planned something out properly. So if I'm going into a scene and I have no idea what I'm going to do, sometimes that's really good creatively because I can have on the spur of a moment a new idea that adds something really fresh and and fun to the writing. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have a general direction, then sometimes that new idea could throw me in a spot where the story doesn't work anymore and I just hit this wall. And I'm still learning the balance of all this in terms of how to manage a good 
workflow that keeps me productive, but still allows me to be creative. Because the last thing you want to like, the last thing a creative person wants to do is like turn it into a, uh, you know, the conveyor belt of like, oh, it's just you just have this assembly line of producing your thing. And I personally feel like that's going to show up in your work. And it's not going to have that same appeal that someone who's really passionate about every step of the creative process that their work would reflect. Yeah. And I I think for me, something that I know is kind of contributing to my current just like, I I guess you could call it, I'm on a bit of like a deflate, you know, it's like sometimes you're like a balloon and sometimes you're like super full of, of this air, this creative energy. And other times there's like a little leak, a little pin needle in the balloon. And you're just like a little slowly deflating because all that energy is being put out somewhere else. Um, and so I'm that sad little balloon <laughs> right now. And, um, and I, I've spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself, but, but I think that the, just like talking with you and it's, it's so common. And I think what is, helpful is just being okay with it and admitting it. So I'm glad you brought it up because it it feels good to just say it and say, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to return to this highly creative or like highly excitable, you know, drive for, uh, for this crap. I've obviously dedicated like all my money, all my time, um, to it. Uh, but you know, just to be okay with it and to kind of let it take its course is helpful, but that's part of the reason I'm 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 so looking forward to having the shop and having the opportunity for folks to to just stroll in and choose goods because one of the reasons why I did sort of adopt an assembly line system is because in this uh, in this style of small batch pottery that I'm selling that I, up until this point I've been selling solely online. Um, for me, the most efficient way to make it work was to have say six products, you know, a cup, a tumbler, or a cup, a mug, a plate, you know, whatever the case is, and to make multiples of each of those so that when I'm going online onto my Squarespace website and I'm creating listings, I'm not having to upload a hundred unique pieces of pottery. That that's, I mean, I would, you know, the money you lose just from the time you end up spending um, is pretty significant. So, but at the same, so that's why I, that's why I jumped into, okay, I'm going to make 30 of the same tumblers, you know, in three different color schemes, 40 of the same mugs in a few different color schemes and upload each of those, you know, six listings with a quantity behind it to my website. And I'm really looking forward to just having the opportunity to not feel that pressure to assembly line things and to just say, you know, I'm going to make some unique faces today and then I'm going to set them in the shop and somebody might come in and like one of them. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the assembly line thing again, because like there's different varying degrees of assembly line. Like mm-hmm. there's like the assembly line that, you know, maybe they're making iPhones on that's like just drudgery. Right. But then there's a certain necessity for an assembly line as like I'm just thinking about my creative process as a writer and like Mm -hmm. there's steps that I need to go through and like if I go too much out of order and be too freeform I'll never get anything done totally uh and so so there is 
sort of a necessity to have something like that to be able to produce and produce consistently. And I think that's where the analogy is really good of assembly line is that consistency of output Mm -hmm. is what you definitely want. But then the creative spin, it adds this extra layer of like, I'm not here to produce a million of the same exact book, like they're all going to have to be different. And that's actually another connection with like your ceramics. It feels like no matter how consistent your assembly line is, one cool thing about ceramics is that every piece is going to be different in some way. Is that right? Yes, yes, for sure. And I've had to get comfortable with that because you set these standards on your work, especially when you are working in this, you know, for lack of a better term, like this assembly line style you as the artist, you start to see the most subtle differences. And I'm like, well, what if this doesn't, what if this one tumbler doesn't match up exactly to the tumbler I used for the listing, you know? (laughs) Um, And I've had so many friends that have really helped me along the way. Like, girl, you're the creator. This is why you see these things. We don't see that. Um, And that is a part of the reason why I was really drawn to the, uh, style that I mostly uh, do, which is like landscape, kind of a watercolor-esque look where I combine the two of my glazes in this special technique, which I keep to myself. Um, And I I overlap them and I create what uh, a lot of people, and I think, you know, appear to be landscapes. I'm always picking up a cup and being like, oh, I see, you know, I see the sun. I see a little person walking across the mountains. I see a little river. And because I have this this sort of freeform style, but I am using the same colors, that's a disclaimer that my customers know and I think love is that you're never going to get the same piece. Even if you ordered six tumblers in the mountain landscape design, which is the blue and brown glaze, each tumbler is going to be different because that's the nature of the application. So folks, if they're listening and they are looking at my work, I think this will make a lot more sense. And I think you're probably familiar with what I'm talking about, but you know, it's something that I have on my website. And when folks like want to order dinnerware from me and they say, I want two full place settings in the desert landscape design, they are prompted at checkout to mark off that they've read over my glaze guide uh, tab on my website where it goes into, you know, this idea that every piece is completely unique, though it's all using the same color scheme, you're not going to get the same design from one pasta dish to the next. And then you have a physical location as well where people can go in and look at stuff. Do you see people comparing two different things often that, well, two different of the same things, but just the subtle differences they're comparing and deciding which one they want to take home? Well, I will be able to answer that question better when I open. I haven't, okay. <laughs> uh, I haven't opened yet. And um, I moved in here. I signed the lease. I think it was at the very uh, end of October. So I ended up moving in here middle of November. And um, I'm hoping, really hoping that I can open, I can feel confident to open at the end of April. So I'm kind of looking at, I think it's like Friday, April 29th to actually open my doors. So I have a ton of work ahead of me, which is why I said I'm like leaning into the burnout because I know here in about like T minus five days, I'm going to have to go hard in the clay. And, um, 
produce a bunch of work to have in the store for the opening. So I'm really excited to see how folks react to the work in person. I've done a couple of markets in the past, but it was right when I had started up, which contribute a lot to the reason why I kept doing pottery because it was so amazing to see people interact with my work in person and and then buy it. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a different relationship online than it is in person. So yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> and so what what prompted you to pursue opening the in-person shop? So to take you back a little bit without making this too very long of an explanation. I think it's been about eight months now that Graham and I moved here to Northern California from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised there, and then moved to Cincinnati to go to the University of Cincinnati, and I got a degree in communications, yada, yada. Graham and I met. We were together for four years, uh, four and a half years before it became obvious to us, especially after like quarantine lockdown that we just really wanted to get out of like this area in the Midwest that we've been living our entire lives. Um, and this area here in Northern California, we happened to have a couple friends who had moved out here years prior. So we had visited and loved it, loved the rivers, the mountains. We like to be outdoors. There's a great uh, arts community here and there's no shortage of carpentry work. So uh, that's ultimately how we made the decision to move here. And uh, we built this uh, small little house on our friend's uh, land. He he graciously allowed us to have a, a place to uh, not necessarily land, but build <laughs> uh, when we got here. So we spent the first three months doing that. And I say we, it's mostly Graham. Uh, and I was, you know, in the background, always on Zillow looking for studios because I had come from uh, a private studio in this artist warehouse back in Cincinnati that I was working out of for about a year and a half before we moved. And um, I could not find a studio out here. I really was struggling. Uh, real estate, you know, it's like hard to come by and I couldn't find a a rental property that was in my budget. Uh, but then I stumbled upon this space and it was definitely still not entirely in the budget. But then when I, I've been teaching pottery alongside making it the last few years uh, on the side, a couple classes a week at a, a couple different community studios and really love it. And I thought, you know, I think I can make this work and I can pay that monthly rent if I'm also offering classes. And the space is just so big that it's like, well, why not also just let people stroll in and buy my work? Why don't I just put some work on the walls? So it sort of happened organically, but I have to admit, like when we decided to move to California, like I said, I was, I was operating out of this private studio in an artist warehouse. The rent was super affordable and I was really loving it. So I kind of told Graham, it's like, if, you know, this move was a bit, I, I have to admit, it was a bit more his dream than it was mine. And I think most, most of that reasoning is because I was just so scared that my business had just taken off in Cincinnati, even though it's online, totally it, it just felt crazy to me that I've only been in this pottery 
studio for a year and a half and I'm going to pick up all my equipment and move, let alone like the money that it takes to make that move happen. So I did kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, like threaten Graham, like if we go to California, I better raise the stakes for my business. <laughs> so that seems like what happened, you know, to have this, uh, this new endeavor, I think has made this whole life uh, change worth it. It's interesting you mentioned this move because while my experience is a lot different, I had to travel a lot recently. And since I thrive on routine, it was kind of disruptive to my creative process. But going back to that idea of burnout, one advantage was the traveling actually offered this natural break. So while that took a lot out of me, it also made me hungry to get back into writing and this time off kind of helped keep the creative spirit alive. It was difficult too, but a lot of the creative process is often figuring out what positive perspective you can have on things and how you can take a disadvantage and find a way to turn that in your favor. Yes. Yeah. And I, oh, I, I wish I could go back to the beginning of the move because it did offer me uh, a natural like three month break from pottery. And then when I got back into it, I was like, oh, this is so nice. I love this so much, but I totally had moments within that sort of natural break, given the fact that we were like moving and I didn't have a studio. I, I had moments where I was, you know, sort of whimpering, like, what if I, why, like, why do I like this so much? <laughs> what? I mean, why do you not like working so much? That's a pretty easy answer. But, you know, for me, I, I was like, am I going to lose my love for clay? And the opposite happened. I got back to it and then I found this space and I had an insanely, you know, driven, like I had, I had this really vivid vision of this storefront when I found this space because I had all this time that I was away from clay that when I found this space, I thought, okay, whoa, I can teach out of this space. I can work out of this space and I can sell out of this space. I don't know how it gets much better than this. And I don't think I would have had that same drive for this vision had I just been, you know, still in Cincinnati doing my day-to-day -day clay and I stumbled upon a, a storefront for rent. I wouldn't have gone, hmm, maybe I'll take that leap. You know, why don't I move out of this really affordable space and, and go rent a studio and teach out of, you know, I was teaching out of another community studio. I was working out of my own private studio and I was selling online. So it definitely took me out of my comfort zone and then gave way to new visions of how I could make this business work for me. Now, when you're doing that self-reflecting and thinking about the reasons why you're doing it and if you'll ever love clay again, you know, these <laughs> worries that you had, did you end up landing on anything where you thought, you know, this is really why I want to keep doing this no matter where in the, the world that I live or this is what I love so much about it? Oh yeah. I mean, since I was a little girl, I think I always have been a creative and I was always, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a writer for some time. I was always writing, writing stories and poetry. I wanted to be a makeup artist at one point. And I spent, you know, the better half of two years recording myself doing makeup videos and uploading them to YouTube. Like I was always really into anything creative that I could do 
by myself. And I think that's because I am a pretty extroverted person. Um, but I need alone time. I need solitude and clay just works so well for those two things because there's such an entangled and amazing community within ceramics, um, online, offline. And it's also a craft that you mostly, you know, are by yourself, whether there's people around you or not, it's you in the clay at the end of the day. And that, that balance was so attractive to me to be a part of a community that gave way to both of these things inside of myself, this extroverted and introverted side of myself. And I just really find so much joy in using something that I made in my everyday life and more so seeing other people use something that I made and love it and have it in their homes and share it with the people they love. There, there's just nothing quite as satisfying. I imagine, you know, reading your own book and being so proud of it and loving it is one thing. And then having another person, you know, do the same and, and love it and pass it on to somebody else because of how much they enjoyed it. Like that joy is so, it's nearly inexplicable, right? You know? Yeah, I agree 100%. And I just love that answer. And I really relate to it. And it resonates with me. Um, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, did you want to remind everyone again, one more time where they can see your work, purchase your work, follow you on Instagram, all that good stuff? Yes. So um, if you want to keep up with my day today, the best place to find me, uh, talk with me, I'm, I like to talk with people who, who are interested in my work, is on Instagram. And that is at tierra.madera.ceramics. And if you like to check out some of my work online, though I don't have um, anything on there right now, I'm, I'm you know, keeping up with the inventory is always, always hard, but it is tiaramaderaceramics.com. And um, you can kind of see a lot more of the past work that I've created, my dinnerware line. You can always inquire about placing an order with me if you want like a larger set for your dining table. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear from you. And those are the two best places to find me if you are eager to uh, be in the loop if I make any announcements, which are far and few between, but the best place to do that is just sign up for my mailing list. It's at the bottom of my homepage on my website. Great. Thanks so much again, Layla. It was wonderful getting to know you. Yes, John, it was a real pleasure. And I so uh, appreciate you finding my work worthy enough to bring me on the podcast. I really love what you're doing here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to see Layla's work in the show notes. If you'd like to hear from another artist who works with clay, check out episode 26 with Bonnie Brushwood, where we talk about the magic of finding happy accidents in your work. And if you'd like to hear about a completely different sort of craft, check out episode 30 with game designer Sharon Meredith. We talk about building confidence through experience. If you enjoy this podcast, there are two easy ways to help the show grow. First, you can share your favorite episode with a friend. And second, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. 
Thanks again for listening and see you next week.